the thief comes not except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have an enjoy life, life in abundance until it overflows. Discover how to live the abundant life in Christ through the ministry of Pastor Oseyao Afwakwa. Pastor Afwakwa is the founder and general overseer of Embassy of Life Chapel, a thriving ministry headquartered in Kumasi with a network of churches in Kumasi and Accra, Ghana. God has commissioned him to train believers through the teaching of the good news of the kingdom to know God better, live life better, and impact the world better. Get set for an empowerment that will enable you to live a life of all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. God bless you as you listen. Come with me to the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Acts, chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Acts, chapter 6. If you worship with us for the very first time, you uniquely welcome into our service. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, somebody say, increasing in number. The Bible says, when in these days the number of the disciples were increasing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanon, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I'm teaching on a series captioned creating an atmosphere for numerical growth. Creating an atmosphere. Somebody say creating an atmosphere. Now you must understand that every good atmosphere is intentionally created. Atmospheres can be created. We have to create an atmosphere for numerical growth. If you are going to grow in your business, atmosphere is important. The atmosphere you create, the setup you have, is going to influence it positively. And if you are going to grow numerically as a church... We need to create the right atmosphere. Praise the Lord. And that is what we will be seeking to do. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6, he says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So there is a human factor and there is a divine factor. And those factors must come together in harmony. They must work in synergy in order to create the desired outcome. If you are going to grow, and we must grow, 
then we need to create the right atmosphere. I want us to appreciate the fact that God wants us to grow. Turn to your neighbor and say, God wants us to grow. Our growth is very important to God. God is particularly interested in growth. One day Jesus gave a parable, I think in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 13, verse 6. And he spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. When God plants a fig tree, he expects fruit. Somebody say he expects fruit. So then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbered it the ground? Why is it taking space? Why is it occupying? Why is it taking soil? Why is it being fed? Why is it being nourished? And yet no fruit is coming out of it. God is particularly concerned about fruitfulness. Somebody say, God is concerned about my fruitfulness. And by your fruitfulness, we mean your spiritual fruitfulness. God is not particularly excited. If you have been a Christian for a very long time and the fruit of the Spirit are not manifesting out of your life. God expects you to bear the fruit of patience. He expects you to bear the fruit of love. He expects you to bear the fruit of joy. He expects you to bear the fruit of peace. All of these fruits are expected to come out of our lives. But beyond the fruit of the Spirit, God expects to see the fruit of souls out of our lives. And it's so, so important that we get to know what makes a Christian a Christian and live like that. We're reading from the book of Acts because the book of Acts is a very significant book. It's the historical book of the New Testament. The Bible is largely categorized into five books. I think uh, we have the law, which includes uh, Genesis together with the other five books of Moses. We have the prophets, and we have history, and then we have the prophet, uh, what do you call it? We have poetry all together. When we come into the New Testament, we have the Gospels. The Gospel also gives us is a biographical account of Christ. So you look at John, he talks about Christ from his own perspective. You look at Matthew, he talks about Christ from his own perspective. You look at Mark, he tells you about Christ from his own perspective. One presents him as a suffering servant, another presents him as God in the flesh, another presents, they all give us different pictures of Christ. But when we pick the book of art, it's unique because the book of art tells us about how the church came into being and everything that happened afterwards. If you are looking at the New Testament, as we call it, the New Testament actually begins from the book of art. When Jesus died and he resurrected, then the New Testament began. Because the Bible says, this is the blood of the New Testament. So until the blood was shed, the New Testament was not invoked. So Jesus himself, most of the things he taught, he taught them as it were under the old. And then when the blood was shed, the New Testament took full effect. That's why again and again, we keep on reminding ourselves that we need to read every verse of the Old Testament, every book of the Old Testament in the light or in the lenses of the New Testament. Everything we see, every principle must be viewed and understood in the light of the New Testament. Arts is unique because Arts gives us a historical account of the church. The Gospels, the four Gospels gives us a historical account of Christ and his ministry. 
Acts gives us a historical account of the church. How the church came into existence. So in us, we see what is very important. What makes a church is revealed in the book of Acts. The things that are unique and makes a church a church. When we look at the way they run church in the book of Acts, we see how practically the church ought to be run. Praise God. And among many things, one of the things reading the book of Acts you see is that numbers matter to God. And that is the title of my teaching. Numbers matter to God. Somebody say numbers matter to God. Numbers matter to God. Say it. Numbers matter to God. Numbers matter so much to God. And if they matter to God, they must matter to us. Numbers matter to God. I've heard some pastors say, as for me, I just want quality. God is not just a God of quality. He's also a God of quantity. Yeah. God is a God of quality. And he's a God of quantity. He does not just want a few good ones. He wants everything. In any case, they don't even come to him in their finest state. They come to him and he refines them. Can somebody say an amen? amen. That's it. So, we see that in the book of Acts, the church is born. And among the detailed records we receive, or the Bible gives us, the book of Acts, we see from Acts chapter 1, uh, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost came and everything began, is record of numbers. Somebody say record of numbers. It's interesting how the Bible details the account of the growth of the church in the book of Acts. The Holy Ghost came. He said, you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Ghost comes upon 120 people. We are even told, because you see, God wanted us to know where they were starting from and where he expected them to end. So he tells us that in the book of Acts, they were 120 when the Holy Ghost came. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. I'm just going to walk you through a journey by way of introduction. A journey of the numerical growth of the early church. The Bible said this all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Let's read verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Praise God. That's where they started from. About 120 was the beginning. A little over 120. It says about 120. That's where they started from. But the moment the Holy Ghost came, everything changed. And next week, hopefully, I will talk about the Lord of the harvest. Somebody say the Lord of the harvest. Yeah, because we can't talk about harvest without engaging the Lord of the harvest. There were 120 in the upper room. They waited and the Holy Ghost came. And from the moment the Holy Ghost came, everything changed. It saddens my heart when people come to faith and they don't want to hear much about the Holy Ghost. In fact, increasingly we are coming to a time where even seasoned men of God sometimes come into conflict about the gifts and the ministries of the Holy Ghost. But you see, sometimes when I hear some of those things, I just realize that Satan is still on a mission to distort the mandate and to rob us of the full benefit of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, it's expedient that I go away. And when I go, I will send another comforter. He did not count his presence with them as more important than the presence of the Holy Ghost with them. He said, I'm going, and I'm going to send you another helper. And when he's come, he will lead you into all truth. Now listen, 
Jesus was with them for three years and he said there are many things I need to tell you but you can't bear them now. But I will send someone to you and when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. That shows you the supreme ministry of the Holy Spirit when Jesus' ministry of saving the world was done. As much as possible, don't enter into useless debate about the Holy Spirit. Don't. Don't. There are manifestations of the Spirit but the same Spirit. There are diverse operations of the Spirit, but the same Spirit. There are diverse gifts of the Spirit, but the same Spirit worked in all unto all. That's it. The Bible said when the Holy Ghost came, everything began to change. And listen, in your own life, if you can allow the Holy Spirit to take charge of your life, things will be different. I said things will be what? If you will allow the Holy Spirit to take charge of your life, things will be different. If you get to know him personally for yourself, if you'll be able to relate with him just like you relate with your wife, just like you relate with anybody who is personal with you, things will be totally different. And in this phase of our lives as a church, in fact, we can't even talk about a New Testament church without giving prominent place to the Holy Spirit. Why? He's the one who gave birth to the church. When he came, then the church started. That is why the Holy Spirit is so important. But we're looking at numerical growth. And next week, when we come into that dimension, we'll look at it in detail. Let's just walk through the Bible, reading verse after a verse to see how the church grew. Now, let's look at it from Acts chapter 2. So, the Holy Ghost comes in Acts chapter 2. And then, Peter preached. And we are told in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, they that gladly receive his word were baptized, and the same day they were about what? Added unto them. Take note. Added unto them. Added unto them. Added unto them. They were added unto them. So that means that from 120, they go to 3,120. Abby, 3,120. That is what Americans will say. All right. Now, Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Acts 4, 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them was about 5,000. I just want you to just walk through. It's just a record account we are going through. Chapter 5, verse 14. So they were counting the numbers, but at a certain point, you realize that they lost count. Now, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Alright, so when they counted 8,120 and finished, they started jumping into multitudes. Now look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. The Bible said, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. So they moved from addition and they are entering into what? Multiplication. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Acts 9, 31. Acts 9, 31. The Bible said, then had the churches rest all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and were multiplied. Acts chapter 9, 40 to 42. Acts 9, 40 to 42. Then Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. All right? 
And it was known throughout all Joppa. And how many? Many believe. Many believe. At chapter 11. At chapter 11. Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. 20. Let's read it together. And some of them were... Good. 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number and turn unto the Lord. As we step out this week and beyond this week, may great numbers come to faith. In the mighty name of Jesus. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard it, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believe. Acts 16, 4 to 5. Let's read. As they went through, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles. Yes, five, please. Establish in the faith and increase in number. Increase in number. All right, we are talking about numbers matter to God. Tell your neighbor, say numbers matter to God. All right. 17. As 17, verse 9 to 12. As 17, 9 to 12. Are you there? Let's go. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and said the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them did what? As 17 verse 11 and 12. I'm reading from 11 and 12, please. 12, it says, Then many of them believed, and also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. Okay, Acts chapter 18, verse 8. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. All right. Now, look at 19, verse 18. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Now, I want us to appreciate that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Somebody say all scripture. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. The accounts we have is profitable. God gives us a picture of what the church should be like. The church is not a stagnant pool. A church is a moving stream. It is designed to grow from the time it's born until the time the Messiah comes. God is particularly interested in numbers. Numbers matter to God. In fact, a whole book of the Bible is called Numbers. And when you go into that book, all they do is to count. So you see them counting again and again, again and again. God giving us detailed accounts, numerically, of what he intends to do. And I want you to understand that in this church, numbers also matter to us. Somebody say, numbers matter to us. Numbers matter to us. 
Yeah, we want to grow. We want to continue to grow and increase. And if you are a part of this church, numbers must matter to you. We expect that people will come join us in fellowship and become established and continue to grow and rise up to fulfill their ministries in God. What makes numerical growth such a big deal for God? What makes numerical growth such a big deal for God? Why does God care so much about numbers? The first one I want us to appreciate is that large numbers honor and glorify God. Large numbers honor and glorify God. Political parties want numbers. Yeah. People want the number of likes on their pages to increase. People are looking for numbers. Business people want more customers. Everybody wants numbers. And much more, our Lord and Master wants numbers. Because, number one, it glorifies him. Somebody say it glorifies him. God is glorified large numbers. The Bible says, and I saw in heaven a large multitude of people crying. In heaven there are multitudes, and on earth God is spitting multitudes. May multitudes come to the saving knowledge of Christ through our lives and through our engagement. Somebody shout an amen. amen. Proverbs 14, 28, the Bible said, in the multitude of people is a king's honor. In the multitude of people. In the multitude of people. And we are, we are talking about the king of kings and the lord of lords. In the multitude of the people is the king's honor. Jesus speaking in John 15, 8. He says, herein is my father glorified that you bear little fruits. That you have a few fruits. That you get a few church members. No, he said, herein is my father glorified that you bear what? Much fruit. So you shall be my disciples. So our ability to bear much fruit, communicate, reveal our identity to people as being the disciples of Christ. May you become a true disciple of Christ. I said, may you become a true disciple of Christ. And number two, God's will is the salvation of all men. Somebody say God's will. God's will is the salvation of all men. If God wants all men safe, then we need to understand that he wants all men to come into fellowship with him. God's will is the salvation of all men. God wants everybody safe. He has no enemies at all. Through Christ Jesus, all men have been set on the course, on the path of reconciliation with God. He has redeemed us and has reconciled us to God. And we need to go telling everybody that, listen, God is no longer angry with you. God is no longer mad with you. God is now happy to welcome you into his family as a part of his household. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3, he said, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men. Somebody say all men. Verse 4, he says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men saved. All men. Those in your neighborhood. All men saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men saved. Second Peter 3 verse 9, he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count him slackness, but he is long-suffering. Somebody say long-suffering. He is long-suffering to us who are not willing. If you are looking for one thing God does not want to happen, is that anybody should go to hell. That's what it means. He doesn't want anyone going to hell. That's why the message 
to be given to all is that God wants, God is so badly interested in people. That's why I tell people, stop praying for the destruction of others because God is not in support of that. God is interested in people. He doesn't want anybody to perish. And you think he wants somebody to die for you? No. The only person he wanted to die, he sacrificed him himself. He came to a point in his life where he could have bowed out of the commitment to die. But he, when he asked his father for him to gain approval, the father told him, no, go ahead and die because after your death, nobody dies again. He wants all men safe and come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, not willing that any should perish. The reason why God can go to any length. I mean, God sent a man, Jonah. Jonah, he told Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell that city, give me Jonah chapter 1 and let's see an account there. And you see the long patience. You see the long suffering of God. Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, go, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Look at this. Huh. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare thereof. When God sent you and you don't want to go where he sent you, you will pay for your own fees. The Bible said he paid the fare thereof. God sent him to a place he won't go. But we go where he sent us. The Bible says, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. Now look at verse 4. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Now imagine this. This is why God is about to do something that might almost kill his own uh, uh, man. Because of his long suffering, his heart for the people. When he sent his servant to them and the servant won't go, he will put the servant into a shipwreck situation just because he needs him to go to that place. He loved them. That's why later on, when uh, the man went and cried and said, Lord, uh, uh, he said, I knew you. <laughs> Jonah could not understand the heart of God. He said, I knew you. That I, he said, this is why I didn't want to go. Because when I go and I tell them and they change, I know you forgive them. You see, after this series, maybe I will teach on finance. And then I will come to teach on knowing God. Because I believe that when you get to know God for who he is, as revealed from scripture, your response, your attitude, your relationship with God will change. Most of us, our relationships are bad. It's because we don't know God well. When we get to know God well and see how he relates with us and tells us this is how we ought to relate with others, we see your relationship will change. Everything will change about you. But the Lord sent a great wind and there was a great tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast the words that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Six. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, What meanest thou? What do you mean? <laughs> oh sleeper, arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us. That we perish, that we perish, 
So the Bible says they began to call. Look at that. They began to do what? Call. So the ship must have seven. Then Jonah, they said everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that they may know for whose cause the evil is upon us. So they cast the lots and the Lord fed upon the heavy sleeper. Now look at that. What happened afterwards? Then they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thy occupation? And whence comest thou? <laughs> what is thy country? And of what people art thou? He said unto him, I am an Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Did you really fear God? <laughs> he did it. He feared God, but he decided to disobey him. Which had made the sea and the dry land. So he knew God had made the sea. And he wanted to hide also in the sea. <laughs> the earth is the loss and the fullness thereof. You can run, but you can't hide. Then there were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Okay? Then he said unto him, What shall we do unto thee? That the sea may become unto us. For the sea was rout, angry, and was tempestuous. Now look at verse 12. He said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea become unto you. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. Turn to your neighbor and say, tell the truth. Okay, verse 14. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. See these guys, they were trying to fight God. The man has given you the secret. The way out. They said they rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea was rout and was tempestuous against them. Verse 14. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done us it please thee. These guys seem to fear God more than Jonah. <laughs> now look at verse number. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Now, when you read chapter 3, Jonah goes to pronounce what he's supposed to pronounce. Maybe I should leave it and come to teach the whole book sometime back. Because what I'm doing now, I think if I continue, it may take me off course, and I don't want to. The spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. Yeah, Jonah is a book about the grace of God. Uh -huh. So, when we grace to the people, grace to Jonah. And it also shows us how to handle ourselves when we have received grace from God. Yeah. Jonah was concerned that when he went to preach, you remember, when he went, after he went to preach, and the people repented and God changed his mind, he became mad with God. How many of you remember that? He, became, he got mad. He said, you see, this is what I was telling you from the beginning. All this uh, seating that we are doing, is just uh, a catastrophe now here. This is what I was telling you from the beginning. I know you are kind. I know you are long-suffering. You have made me to go and shout and shout and shout, and now you have to see, see the way. But he had also forgotten that it was the mercy of God when he also disobeyed God. And the whale swallowed him up. But for the mercy of God, he would have perished in the belly of the whale. There are many of us who have obtained mercy. But when it's our turn to show mercy, we forget that we have ever obtained mercy. We will look at it when God gives us some opportunity in the future. Amen? Amen. 
what we are saying is that God wants the salvation of all men. You see, God has no enemies. I tell Christians all the time, don't make people your enemies. We have one enemy. The Bible does not identify him as Stephen. He does not identify him as James. He does not identify him as Ernest. He identifies him as the devil. Yeah, the Bible calls him the accuser. He calls him your enemy. That is who your enemy is. How does it work? It can work through people, but the people are not your enemies. God has not made people his enemies, so you can't make people your enemies. And I will keep on saying it until it registers because when the stronghold is in your head, no matter how many times it's said, in fact, when you hear it and you begin to feel angry, it means that it's now that the stronghold is about to be broken. God's will is the salvation of all men. The most wicked man, God wants him saved. For all have sinned and come short to the glory of God. The Bible said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, Muslim, Hindu, Buddha, whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Number three is that God wants his house to be filled. God is interested in numbers because he wants his house filled. Somebody say he wants his house filled. Say God wants his house filled. Yeah, all the empty chairs in church, God wants everywhere filled. God wants every church filled because that honors him, that brings him glory. We are told in a parable in Luke chapter 14 verse 21 to 23. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of his house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. The next eight weeks, the operation we are launching is Operation Fill the Room. Somebody say, Operation Fill the Room. The Bible said, we have gone and we have done what we requested in verse 22 and there is still room. Somebody said, there's still room. Do you know there's still room in the kingdom for someone? There's still room. There's still room. Sometimes when we think about ourselves, we feel we are saved. My brothers are saved. My mother is saved. And we think that that's all the rooms are full. No, there is still room. As long as the Messiah is here to return, there's still room. There's still room for any sinner out there. There's still room for every sinner around us. There's still room for people to be saved. And we as a church must also create room for people to come and worship. Somebody say there's still room. Okay, number four. Number four. Large numbers and powers for dominion. Somebody say large numbers. God is interested in numbers because large numbers brings dominion. Large numbers bring dominion. If you are going to command dominion, you need large numbers. The Bible said in the book of Genesis, when God created man, he created Adam and Eve, but he did not leave them to be alone. Genesis 1, the Bible said, and God blessed them and God commanded them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have, and have, and have. Now I want us to look at the sequence because it's very important. He says, be fruitful. Then he said, multiply. Then he said, replenish the earth, subdue it, and then have dominion. You can't have dominion without fruitfulness. We need to be fruitful. If you are going to have dominion, we need to increase in number. We see how large numbers bring about dominion in the land of Egypt. 
Exodus chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. Look at this. And multiplied and was exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Please take note. The land was what? Filled with them. When the land was filled with them, Exodus 1, verse 7 to 10. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, please follow here. Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. More and mightier than we. Do you know that was the genesis of all the persecution that came upon the Israelites? When their numbers increased, they became threatened. When their numbers increased, they became worried. And he said, Behold, the people of the children are mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them. Let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they fall out in the war, they join unto our enemies and fight against us. And so, get them up out of the land. Did you see that? They were in their own land. And their fear was that the way these guys are increasing, the way they are going, if we allow it to continue to grow at that rate, we will be in a shock in the nearest future. So let's find a way to deal with them. Numbers bring dominion. Number five, because God does not want to check the spies. You know, any little thing can easily be despised. Any little thing. The Bible says, who have despised the day of small things? That's why Jesus said, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants you to be enlarged. He said, though your beginning be small, your end should greatly increase. And it's my prayer that your end will increase. Your business will increase. Your spiritual life will increase. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 19, the new American stand is therefore, from them will proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they will not be diminished. I will also honor them and they will not be insignificant. When you are small, you can easily be despised. In Ghana today, government will have to give attention to Church of Pentecost. Yeah, they have to give attention to them. And you see that they are also very strategic nowadays. Everything they are celebrating. Even when somebody returns money, they are celebrating. It's a very strategic move. Yeah. But it's one vibrant church in the nation now. When they did the population, they were concerned. After the population, you see, they went to government and they began to negotiate. That's the power of numbers. Yeah, because they, when they got to know their population in Ghana, they say, no, our voice must be heard. And the church must grow. If it's going to matter, we need to grow. Somebody say, we need to grow. Say, we need to grow. Yeah, if we are going to be taken seriously by any people, we need to grow. When the church began to grow, then persecution also arose. Why? Because Satan will always militate against a growing church. Number six, more laborers and workers can be recruited and equipped for the work of the ministry. God is interested in numbers because the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. We need more laborers. How else are we going to get more laborers? 
when more people are saved and established in the faith. In the book of Matthew 9, verse 36 to 37, when he saw the multitude was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Verse 37, then he said unto his disciples, the harvest is plenteous. Somebody say the harvest is plenteous. Say the harvest is plenteous. He said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plenteous. More people are needed, more resources are needed. And then number seven, more resources can be generated for the advancement of the gospel when more numbers are gathered. The Bible says, how shall one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except their rock has sold them and the Lord has shut up on them. That is critical. So these are seven important reasons why numbers matter to God. Somebody say numbers matter to God. Satan wants to have more people with him. But God owns the harvest. The harvest belongs to God. He said the harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few. And in this season and in the weeks ahead, I pray that you avail yourself to be part of the labor force. That you reach out with the community of believers. As we reach out week in, week out, you will actively avail yourself to participate so that great multitudes will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Somebody say an amen. amen. Stand on your feet and let's pray. Pastor Afuakwa has just placed in your hands the key for all-round victory, success, and limitless prosperity. Share your testimonies with us on 020-422-5790 or email us at embassyoflifechapel at gmail.com. Get interactive with Pastor Afuakwa on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more information, visit our website at www.embassyoflife.org. Fellowship with us this and every Sunday for our service at our headquarter church from 8.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. for our good news service. And on Wednesdays for our discovery service from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Our church auditorium is located on the top floor of Nanama Ejakuma Plaza opposite the Unity Oil Station, Santasa Runabout, Kumasi, Ghana. Alternatively, you can join us online for our services on Embassy of Life Chapel, Facebook or YouTube pages. God richly bless you. No, no, no.